host Dave. Okay. One, two, three. I'm not sure if I was supposed to do that, but good morning and welcome to the SaaS Product Power Breakfast. My name is Dave Kellogg. I'm here with my co-host Thomas Otter and our special guest Stephanie McReynolds. Uh, the room is being recorded uh, per the red ball on the top and uh, as per our norms for the room, uh, we, we interview a special guest every week. Uh, we are open to audience questions pretty much at any time. So if you have one, raise your hands. Um, as we get warmed up here, Stephanie, I'd love to just start with just a, a little bit of background on yourself and your career. I mean, frankly, I, I had known Stephanie since the I don't know, early 2000s when we worked together at Business Objects, but I had forgotten all the great places you have worked at along the way when I went to write the blog post uh, about this episode. So I'd love to just hear a little bit about your career trajectory and, and how did you end up uh, where you are now? Yeah, I'd love to share. Uh... It's been a very interesting journey. I uh, I studied international relations in college, so there is probably no reason I should be in technology marketing. Uh, but I studied at Stanford, so at least there was a locale to, to Silicon Valley to inspire me. And my very first job was with uh, Regis McKenna at his marketing strategy consulting firm. And it was kind of a way for me to figure out, you know, was the technology industry even interesting to me? Um, hey, Stephanie, I got to interrupt and just play Silicon Valley trivia. Thomas, do you know what famous, name the famous consultant who sprung from Regis McKenna? Do you know this one? No, I don't. I don't know anything, Dave. <laughs> Stephanie, <laughs> do you know? I guess you must know. I don't, I don't know that I know who you're talking about. Jeffrey Moore, Jeffrey Moore was a Regis, McKenna, Moore, consultant, that's a Regis right. McKenna consultant. I don't know if you knew that. Oh. I didn't know that. In fact, he was, he was in the office quite often while I was there. He had already spun out by the time I joined. Um, but he was a big inspiration to me, as was time spent with Regis himself, um, as were the partners. I mean, the, the community there was, was fantastic. Um, and that was my introduction to really figuring out how to look at uh, product market fit. Uh, we work primarily with startups on um, sizing markets, looking at new product introductions, and doing a lot of message testing. Um, so it was a great start to a career. I ended up joining one of my clients, Epiphany Software, which was uh, founded by Steve Blank. That's probably how folks will know that company. And uh, I joined in a product marketing role. So I chose to uh, devote myself to learning about product marketing at uh, Epiphany, went through the dot-com, uh, the end of the dot-com boom and the bust, and then uh, joined Business Objects and met Dave for a short while, and then decided I wanted to go into product management. So I I joined PeopleSoft, um, got acquired into Oracle, and spent about eight years um, in the, you know, the, the technical details of, of product management as I moved over from applications to focus on uh, server technologies and in Thomas Curian's um, server and architecture team. Um, so that was like a great learning ground. I had a couple of um, architects that really helped train me on the fundamentals of enterprise architectures. Um, and also how to present to a lot of uh, uh, really high-powered Wall Street organizations. I covered our complex event processing product that was involved in uh, algorithmic trading. And so uh, I got a beating more than one time presenting to uh, architects on, on Wall Street and, uh, and really learned a lot through that process. Um, and then I w when I was kind of done with that technical education at, at Oracle, which I was very thankful to have an opportunity to, to do, uh, I decided I wanted to go back to marketing. So I um, and, and I really thought that I wanted to build my career around marketing as a strategic uh, revenue generating organization. So uh, I thought the best way to learn how to pull all the levers of marketing and build a demand gen engine for the first time, which I had never done, and build an analyst relations team for the first time that I had never done, and do PR for the first time on my own, which I had never done. I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to startups and uh, learn how to do this from the ground up. Um, so just a, a, a great series of, of companies, and I'd say that's where I began to learn about category creation really in its fullest was my first um, startup out of Oracle was Aster Data. Um, mm -hmm. And then I followed uh, Sharmila Shahani Mulligan uh, after we created the analytic uh, database market um, to clear story data and went on to start the marketing and sales development team at Trifacta. And then my last uh, company where we had a, a ton of success creating the category data catalogs uh, was Relation. And uh, that was just a, a tremendous ride. So the last year or so, I've taken some time off to reflect on that career and figure out what's next. And 
I'm excited to talk to folks today about category creation and what I've learned through that journey. Wow. Awesome. So, so let me summarize, Thomas, if I may, there's a couple of pretty amazing things there. So, so first one, you, so you, you, you worked, your first job was at the consultancy that, that kind of launched Jeffrey Moore. You learned startups under Steve Blank. You learned product management in Thomas Curian's organization. And dare I put myself in that company, you worked in marketing under Dave Kellogg. Go. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And not, I mean, I'd love to take credit. Like this was all like handcrafted and designed, but you know, not as his career has progressed in Silicon Valley, you, you can't really design these things from the beginning. So I um, just kept following my passions and meeting great people and, um, you know, trying to learn as much as I could along the way. It's been a great journey so far. That's awesome. You made one more point I want to just double down on, Stephanie, which is the the learning at startups versus big companies. And 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 you, like me, have bounced back and forth between big and little. And I, I personally think it's a great way to build a career because you learn breath effectively at startups, right? Everything you talked about was breath. It was three or four different things you'd never done before because of the big company, you're stovepiped. In the big company, me, you really learn depth. And, and I personally, you know, like I worked at sales in being CEO of two startups, and it was one of the biggest learning years of my career. Um, and, and I love doing that. Thomas, I think you may have had a point as well. Did you want to weigh in? Uh, I was going to say we have, we have similar undergraduate degrees. I did, uh, I did politics and a little bit of, bit, a little bit of international relations as well. So uh, it, it, you don't have to have a comp sci degree to have a successful career in, in product management. You know, you can, I think if you bring a, a, an open mind and a willingness to learn, um, you know, you can learn quite deep, deep technical competence without, without having, a, necessarily having a, having a comp sci degree as a, as, uh, as a, as a starting point. You can learn a lot along the way. So for the folks who don't have a, a comp sci degree, this is, you know, Stephanie's a great example of how you can, can really build a, a, a technical and um, a technical product and product marketing career. Yeah, yeah. In, in quite heavy lifting categories too, right? Go exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to share, you know, one of the, one of the things, I really think it's been an advantage to, to not come from a computer science background. And, and part of that advantage is that I had to translate the technology to myself to learn how it worked. And so that um, ability to position and message and really think deeply through um, how the specific nuances of the words you choose count, um, that ability to be a translator, I think comes from some of my you know, study of, of foreign languages and, and international relations and different cultures and strategies. So um, you know, it ended up being a very good uh, jumping off point. I, I, didn't, I had no idea at the time, but uh, reflecting on it, I see a lot of folks who come from that uh, background who are successful in uh, product marketing, product management, and marketing more generally. I'd agree. Awesome. Okay, so um, quick reset of the room since some people have joined. Uh, hi, you're here on the SaaS Product Power Breakfast. Dave Kellogg and Thomas Otter, your co-hosts, interviewing Stephanie McReynolds. Um, we're going to be talking about category creation. The room is being recorded, and uh, we'll start by asking Stephanie some questions, and at any time, audience members are free to raise their hand. We'll pull you up on stage. Please mute until we get to you, um, and then uh, you can join the conversation. Um, in terms of questions, I gave Stephanie five questions in advance that we will hit, but I, I, she knows me, so hopefully this won't surprise her. I always throw a few curveballs. <laughs> so uh, your first curveball question is, what's, what's the first thing in your mind when you talk to a startup the first thing that goes through your mind when you talk to a startup and they say, Stephanie, we want to create a category. <laughs> I, I'm usually pretty skeptical that they have an opportunity to create a category. So I think, you know, there's a couple things that have happened over the last uh, five years or so, right? Um, the, the folks that played bigger wrote a wonderful book on category creation, right? Um, and category creation has become a very popular uh, marketing strategy to, to at least, you know, talk about in the, in the public press. And um, I do not think that there's an opportunity in every market for every product to create a category. So uh, sometimes uh, founders will get confused um, between the difference, uh, between positioning the differentiation in a product and having a disruptive product and having an opportunity to create a true category. And so uh, we usually have a conversation about their market and, and some of the market forces some of the capabilities of their product and, and why there might be a category opportunity or not. 
So you have any other thoughts on Play Bigger? I mean, that, that book got very hot for a while. I, I remember on Twitter one time, I, I think it was Heidi Bullock who tweeted, like, of course I've read Play Bigger, like, as a job interview question or <laughs> something <laughs> like that. Uh, do, do you have any other thoughts on that book? Do you recommend it? I mean, to me, it's a very marketing-y book. Uh, and, uh, like, for our product audience, do you think it's a good book for them? What's your take on that book? I... I think it's, I actually think it's a very good book because it's, it, it summarizes a lot of the concepts around category creation. I personally found it a little hard to, to get through, to read just the style is a, a little uh, boisterous and, and maybe over the, over the top, even for me. Um, what I really appreciate by the, that the team at Play Bigger did is they, they also dug into the data science behind the conclusions that they were making. So, you know, their big top line conclusion that, um, companies that, that create a category and become category kings get, you know, 76% uh, of uh, the market cap of their market. That's actually based on rich data work um, that led them to that, that conclusion. And so I think the best part about that book in the research is that it is backed by research, right? And, and they did their, their homework. Um, I also think it can be a great inspiration uh, for teams and also, you know, the book came out um, about a, a year after I had started at uh, Alation. And what I used the book to do was to um, kind of bring everyone in the company along with the concept of what we were trying to achieve so that I didn't have to answer a bazillion questions on every all hands call, right? Because a lot of the engineers wanted to understand why we were spending so much time and money uh, creating a category. And it was a helpful um, kind of guide to say, hey, you know, this is what the why behind we're doing. And if you're really interested in, in digging into the details, and if you just want the short story, come to me and I'll, I'll tell you. But if you really want to dig in, we did a couple of brown bag lunches on it. And so I found it a, a very useful um, piece of writing to, to lean on. So I love to use business books for that purpose to align in particular the executive staff or, or even the company, because the amount of context building you can do by kind of saying, okay, everybody read this book, you know, it, it, it's not religious. We're not going to be fundamentalist about this book, but it will align us. So we have a common vocabulary and a common way of talking about the problem. Um, so I think that's a great technique. I had been unaware that you had done that um, at Alation. By the way, I should mention, I work with Stephanie at Business Objects. I was on the board of Astrodata uh, and I'm on the board of Alation. So, so our, our University of Silicon Valley way, we have had these, you know, intermingled <laughs> careers crossing over. Um, and I knew in relation, we had done category creation and we'll talk a lot about that in this session, but, and I knew they were fans of play bigger, but, but I didn't know you were actually using it as kind of a, an alignment mechanism around the mission. Yeah. I, I bought a copy for every single individual in the company. And then as uh, as part of my onboarding program for new marketers joining the marketing team, um, they had a, a, a small library of three or four books I, I gave to each one of them as they, they joined to, to just, you know, get folks up to speed on what was some of my perspective and, and what the influencers were on those perspective. Um, Play Bigger was one of the books. Uh, Steve, Steve Blank's uh, Four Steps to the Epiphany was a, another one of the books. So, uh, you know, I, I helped bring folks along in, in, in my thinking and, and, and encourage them to challenge my thinking when uh, they had a different perspective. That's awesome. So um, I'm going to just do a, a plug for Kelblog here for two seconds. In my very thick pile of unwritten posts or incompleted posts, I have one contrasting two books, Play Bigger and Playing to Win. Um, and they're, they're kind of different books. Playing to Win is really a strategy book. Oh, you could argue they're both strategy books. Um, but the reason I was going to make it one post is they both start with the word playing. And um, <laughs> But in any case, if you've not read Playing to Win, I'd recommend it. Um, our, our former colleague, Kristen Reed, who remember was the one who introduced me to that book. Yeah. Uh, and I thought it was a great book. So, so I can, ma I can maybe point you guys to an article you might like, uh, uh, Dave, I, I probably told you this before, because I've told everybody that I know that I'm doing this moment, but I'm, my, my midlife crisis is to do another degree. And, um, I'm at Oxford at the moment doing, uh, their, uh, postgraduate, uh, diploma in strategy and innovation. And it's been really fascinating this, this semester we've been doing, um, We've been essentially been doing innovation, and we've been looking at at uh, new markets, emerging markets, uh, um, um, uh, double sided markets, and and just how you create a new market. And um, there's an article that I found really good by a guy called Philip Santos and uh, Catherine Eisenhart called "Constructing Markets and Shaping Boundaries: Entrepreneurial Power in Nas Nascent Fields." It sounds it's a mouthful. 
but they have a really cool model of of they you know the first stage is where you claim where essentially it was like make it to fake it as you claim the market you know then you demarcate it which is you kind of set the set the boundaries and then you control it you know and uh, it's a really clever way of of uh, looking at the whole process of of you know really creating a new market. But like you said, uh, Stephanie, it's not for the faint-hearted. You know, um, creating a market is a lot harder than uh, than playing in somebody else's market. Yeah, but it's a fascinating space. Awesome. I, I thought your midlife crisis was your PhD. Have, have you had two midlife crises? Yeah, that was the first. That was the first part of the midlife crisis, and now the second part of the midlife crisis is the is the strategy degree. So hopefully it'll stop after that. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Okay, let's uh, let's hit the main topic here. Um, so Stephanie, we've we've kind of danced around this, uh, but let's, question number one from the blog post: Does a vendor who makes a category when a startup comes to you and says we want to make a category? You've already said, hey, I can be a little skeptical when I hear that, but but. But does a vendor create a category or do market forces? You know, did Gainsight create customer success? Did Alation create did a catalog or, or was it was were you part of a movement? Yeah, so this is a really interesting question. And uh, I'll do one more more plug for a book with which is Anthony Kenyatta from Gainsight's his category creation book that came out uh, last year. It's, if you want to get into the, the nitty-gritty details of some examples, he does a good job pulling those out. Um, so they did a, a great job at Gainside on their category creation journey as well. Um, you know, I think this is an interesting question. Does a vendor create a category or do market forces create the category? I, I, I have to say it's a little bit of, of both. So, I, you know, I know, Thomas, you said that, uh, and, and I like this framework that you claim a category and then you demarcate it and then you control it. I think, I'm, unfortunately, claiming a category... Um, there has to be like some primordial ooze there <laughs> that is our market forces that indicate that there is a, a you know, there's the opportunity to, to create the category. And then I think it's up to the vendor to, to lean into that and to generate the, the snowball of the community that really instantiates the claim on the, on the, the category. I, I've seen way just too many marketers, um, do like a repositioning of, of the, the company or a repositioning of the, the, the product and say, okay, now I have a category and categories aren't created with, with just, with just language, right? They, they have to be created as a, as a, a movement, as something that, you know, individual people and organizations get behind and see the opportunity uh, and help develop that category. And so I think a vendor um, and the, the, the team at that, 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 that vendor and usually multiple vendors um, need to be involved to, to actually get a, a category instantiated. Um, but there, there, there has to be, you know, kind of a, a, some things that are in place as a starting point. So, um, you know, what's my list of, of, of things to look for? Um, one, of the, one of the easiest things to look for is like no one is searching for this solution or for this pain point. So if you, you know, when, when I first joined Alation, we were calling the product a data accessibility platform and no one was searching on data accessibility. No one knew what a data accessibility platform was. I think I may not have brought this up in the interview process, but shortly thereafter, I brought it to the team. Hey guys, I don't think we have a platform because we don't actually have any documented APIs. So it's going to be hard to present this thing as a, a platform to the outside outside world. Uh, and so there you go being practical again. I know, I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, you know what? Some people are like, you're the most technical marketer I've ever met because, (laughs) you know, some of the details mattered to me, but, um, you know, it's an important detail in my mind. It's a very important detail. Go go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, so no one's searching for, you know, for the solution in the market is, is one signal. Um, I think, uh, another signal is that, um, Often in in many early early markets that are just emerging, you see new roles or, or titles starting to develop, um, and sometimes that's organic, and sometimes that's you know a lean in from the the vendor. Um, but you know at, at Alation, this concept of of data stewardship and the data steward was a was a new title in the industry as we were you know just starting to uh, emerge. I would even say that you know data science and data scientists were an early title and chief data officers were kind of an early title as, as Alation started to come to, to market. So 
you look for these underserved communities of individuals that maybe are marginalized, that have pain points that no one is, um, you know, other vendors aren't addressing very clearly. And uh, that's part of the reason why no one searches for these solutions, because there's this uh, audience that's thirsting for, for value and, and no one is really matching the technology with the value. And that's, that's the opening you can play off of to, to create a, a category. Um, you know, in my practical way, I think the product also has to really deliver value for there to be an opportunity to have that be a longstanding uh, category and worth the investment of, of time and effort to build it. Uh, so, you know, my first uh, six weeks at Alation was uh, focused, um, about half my time was focused on interviews with um, our, our prospects and, and, and customers and observing sales interactions to really identify where was the, the impact value of the product. It wasn't around accessibility. It ended up being around the, the productivity impact we had on analysts' lives so when they went to find and, and understand data. Th three reactions. First, you, you create a very interesting chicken egg problem. Um, like what comes first, the buyer or the category? But like, I, I would argue that in the case of Salesforce, the app kind of created a job called sales ops, yep. right? But, but in the other cases I can think of like Gainsight, I mean, the way I used to describe Gainsight was it's the app for the VP of customer success. Because to, to your exact point, there was a new role. It was underserved. They didn't have an app, right? Marketing had Marketo and sales had Salesforce, but the VP of success had nothing. And Gainsight stepped in and filled that void. Um, and, and really interesting. The, the last thing I want to ask a question, this is more of a marketing question, bear with me. But one of the, this, maybe it's just a statement, maybe you could riff on it. One of the things I find interesting is when people try to create a category, they create some, you know, new name or new acronym and then shock no one's searching for it and people get excited. But like definitionally, no one's searching for it. So, yeah. so that you seem to confuse category creation strategy and SEO strategy. If you want to riff on that just a little bit, um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you handle that sandalation. Yeah, you can't you can't confuse the two. So <laughs> that's that's danger territory. Right. Um, so I think. You know, it's really interesting because people obsess about a couple of things when creating a category. Uh, you know, they obsess on the, 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 the language, the label that they use to name the category. And uh, I, I think that's a mistake. I, I think over-obsessing about it is a mistake. I mean, I think the, the name of the category becomes really important as, as, you, um, as you build the, the category. But in the early days, you, you, you have to be cognizant that as a, a single vendor, you're not going to own this movement. You're going to start this movement. You're going to feed this movement. You know, you're going to enable it to grow. But uh, very few vendors um, pick the the name that is the long term name for the the category and are successful with that. And so I think a a better way to approach that problem is to have a handful of names that might be a a, a fit. And let the influencers in the market, and maybe even your your you know your customers, um, pick the final name, and be a little bit more open to a, a customer driven process of finding you know name market fit, right? Almost like a product market fit fit process. Um, so I agree. Look, I, I got a, two things. One, I, I feel compelled to say, Howard, how as somebody who's actually named one, if not two categories, uh, if you're interested in coming up and weighing in, uh, we, we'd love to have you. Just raise your hand. I, I won't pull you on stage, but but uh, we'd love <laughs> to have you up. Um, and then Stephanie, yeah, I agree. My, my rule of thumb is analyst name categories, right? Yeah. That, 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 and I actually learned that from Arnold Silverman, who was the chairman of the Business Objects Board. Um, he was the one who said it to me, and he said it so matter-of-factly I was just like, oh, shit, he's right. Analyst name categories. And to your point, vendors obsess over the name. The best way to do it is you, you I was an analyst, and you, you make it think like it was the analyst's idea, you know? Um, so, Thomas, so don't share all my secrets, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to be a great intro for Howard. So, so Howard's going to come up. Uh, Howard, for those who don't know him, was the lead BI analyst at Gartner during the time that I ran marketing business objects. He was affectionately then known as the father of BI because, in my opinion, he had named the category. Uh, and Howard, we'd love to hear from you. By the way, the category previously was known as Decision Support Systems, kind of an icky name. Uh, but, but Howard, do you have any thoughts on this? So first, thanks for joining us. So do you have any thoughts on this question? 
Well, thanks for having this. This is a uh, this is my my debut. <laughs> this forum. <laughs> Welcome to Clubhouse. Uh, I appreciate the invite. No, this is really cool, and it's obviously great to hear all of you. And uh, you're right. It was back in the day, as we call it. It was decision support systems and executive information systems. And uh, I just came up with a with a better with a better name for it. And some of that was just dumb luck. And I would say that um, analysts are actually particularly bad at creating categories. <laughs> you might recall. At my uh, previous employer, the Big G, we created something called business activity monitoring, and um, that's this is back in the '90s, right? And oh, this is one of my favorites, Howard. I was involved in business activity monitoring. <laughs> was, I mean, it was a great idea, but it was it was really early for the market, and um, a whole host of vendors uh, came out of the woodwork and started investing or rebranding what they were doing to business activity monitoring, and it just collapsed. It just, you know, and. Uh, I mean, there, there's more of that capability today with streaming capabilities, but you know, we were, you know, we were very early. So I don't think analysts are pretty, uh, pretty good at, at uh, creating markets. I think we're better at identifying markets, and uh, maybe, um, you know, maybe uh, naming them or coming up with some better names for them. And of course, analysts are always trying to do that to come up with some names for things. But um, I do think that you know, in in the creation of a market, there's usually uh, and I, I refer back to Christensen and the Innovative Dilemma, you know, where it's being served somehow uh, if there's a need in the marketplace. It's just it's not being done extremely well. And somebody comes up with a better mousetrap uh, that does a better job of serving that particular need. And, uh, and then, they, then they get to, you know, then they get to, uh, you know, possibly name it as well. So I think you make excellent distinctions, and I want to make sure we, we capture these for the audience, because you're right, Howard. When analysts create categories, in my mind, it can often go bad. It's kind of like VCs creating companies, like like VCs should invest in companies created by founders, right? Like analysts should identify and or name categories. When they try to create them, I see bad things happen, um, and, I, and I think that's a really good distinction. Um, I think sometimes the other thing analysts may do is call premature or... or Convergence. Analysts love to call convergence, right? Where they say, you know, CRM and marketing automation are going to be, sorry, SFA and marketing are going to converge to become CRM, right? A classic analyst call. Um, and, and, and sometimes I call it like an analyst can be the face that launched a thousand ships, right? Hello of Troy. Uh, like, actually, Howard, I would say you created EPM. I don't know if you credit yourself for that. But, but EPM was, in my mind, kind of a shotgun wedding between financial planning and BI. <laughs> and, and, we're sticking and, and a with lot it. of people bet hard on that. Go ahead. And we're sticking with it. We like to stick to naming, right? Because the, the market gets accustomed to a particular name for something. They know what it is, at least at some level. And then what happens is someone or someone's going out there and change it. And, oh, this is completely different now. And that just confuses the market. And, yeah. You know, in our space, you know, we talk about, you know, in the area of business intelligence, reporting and dashboards. And uh, and uh, just to prove the point, there, there are forces out there that are saying, oh, this stuff, reporting and dashboards are dead. Well, no, that's actually, that's not true. <laughs> I mean, there are, there are other paradigms out there and there are different use cases for those paradigms. But you, you can't just, you know, uh, just say that a particular paradigm or approach is dead. It's, it's certainly not, it's useful. And that's a problem that I find with a lot of, you know, some vendors, some analysts, where they make these blanket statements that this is the way the market is uh, without, you know, without any nuance whatsoever. Yeah. Well, one of the awesome. best, yeah, on this, one of the best ones for me in terms of a category creation was, was on the back of Sarbanes-Oxley was GRC, um, yeah. you know, because really um, uh, it didn't actually create that much really new software, but it took something that, you know, audit you know, audit features were, were a minor feature of your financial application. And it just catapulted uh, uh, essentially a separation of duties, which was a, a really banal feature uh, into a category uh, pretty much overnight uh, on the back of, on the back of, 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 of Sarbanes-Oxy. So it was a fantastic example for me of where you had uh, a, a market force, which was, which was SOX, Right where where there was an amount of new there was an amount of new capabilities the verses and the protivities and all these guys really emerged out of nowhere, but they weren't actually doing a whole lot of fundamentally new stuff 
And uh, it became a fantastic rebundling exercise because the term GRC did not exist before SOX. It, it came within really within a few weeks of SOX. And then within about six months, you had this market, you know, and it was, you know, everyone converged very quickly on this term, on this term uh, 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 GRC. So that's kind of fascinating one for me of a, of a market creation story. Okay, awesome. GRC, governance, risk, and compliance, by the way, for those in the audience who don't know the term. Uh, Stephanie, back to you. Uh, Howard, thanks for coming up. If you want to stay up, you're welcome to, but stay on mute. Um, I want to go back to Stephanie. Uh, just mute if you look at the background. Thanks. Um, uh, so, Stephanie, number two question. First, if you want to weigh in on that whole riff, go ahead. And if you don't, the, the question is, do you leave the proctor solution? Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll weigh in a little bit because – I think this example of GRC is an interesting one. That That is a market created by a, a market force. And I, I, I think we do see markets created, you know, by a market force in some instances, but it's, it's a little, it can be dangerous territory um, because I, I think that the, the, the marketers coming up with a, a name to, to label a new solution that's created by a market force they sometimes forget to dig down into what is the real pain point that is being solved for the user and, and, the, and the buyer and, and lead with that. They get over-focused on um, what is the solution and naming the solution and seeing that market force and forget that for a category to be sustainable, there has to be real business value, real impact being delivered to a, a, a person and a company <laughs> that has a, a, a pain point. And so... I, I like to to remind folks to center in on um, what is the pain and lead with that. And and so maybe in a controversial way, uh, Dave, my answer to, to the question in creating category, do you lead with product or solution? My answer is like neither. <laughs> you, you lead with defining the pain and go through a little bit of a, if, you, if you're there at the beginning of the category, you go through a, a, a process um, of um, really discovery um, of the, the, the solution, discovery of the value, discovery of the solution and packaging that up. And, and when you know you can package it, you absolutely know that you have a category that's going to create customer value and increase the speed of purchase. And I, and I think that's, those are the key reasons why, you know, at least as a, as a startup or a young company with few resources, you, you lean into this process of category creation. So could you give me an example, either uh, the, the two places I think would be interesting most uh, would be either be Alation or Trifacta. We don't talk, we haven't yet talked much about Trifacta, but I think they created data wrangling. I, I may be wrong, yeah. uh, but but I'd love you could say. We, so you, you basically said don't leave with product or solution, leave with pain. Um, so in either of those or any other, can you give me an example? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with Alation and then I can touch on Trifacta as well. Um, you know, in in Alation's case. Um, we came up with this. The first term we branded was not uh, data catalog. The term we branded was tribal knowledge. And that was a way to describe the pain in uh, two short words. And it took off. Um, and, and, and tribal knowledge basically described this series of 30-minute meetings that every person I interviewed told me about that it took them to find the data in the organization they needed for their report, dashboard, or advanced analytic you know, data science project that they were driving. Um, hey, Stephanie, let, let me pause you right there because this is an amazing point. So first, that was a bold move because tribal knowledge was very much used by the knowledge management community. So, yep. so it, it took guts to make that move. And you reminded me, this will touch an old memory for Howard, our equivalent of business objects was the report backlog. That, that was the evil yep. thing we were trying to stop, the report backlog. We solved it through ad hoc query. You're saying at Alation, the problem was tribal knowledge, and you're going to solve it through. Go ahead. Yep, so you find this evil thing, you label it, and then you hope that that takes off because a, a category isn't created by one vendor. A category needs analysts to label it. And before the analysts label it, typically you need multiple vendors that are pursuing a category because uh, Howard can weigh on in on this. But I, I see it as like which what analyst wants to put their career behind labeling a category that's one vendor that might disappear in four years. Like no one's going to do that. <laughs> so you yeah. got to have more than one vendor in a category. Well, so let me weigh in on, on Trifacta in particular because uh, Adam actually gives me credit <laughs> for helping for helping to create the category, which I didn't. I mean, the category already existed. People were already doing it, you know, but they were doing it with bail wire and glue, you know, with whatever tools they had, you know, SQL, 4GLs, Excel. Uh, so, so the need was there. Uh, they just came up with a, a better approach or a better mousetrap. And we we certainly amplified it when we started covering data prep within our research, but I don't think we created it, but I think we helped. 
So just quick marketing yeah. reminder. This is my favorite. This is an increasingly old story, but but athlete's foot was a disease created by a marketer. It's actually a foot fungus called Tania pettis, but but they kind of named the problem athlete's foot, and then they sold the solution, which was absorbing junior. Uh, and in many ways, I think you know data wrangling is the problem. What's the solution? Data prep, tribal knowledge is the problem. What's the solution? Data catalog. Uh, really interesting stuff. But back, back to you, Stephanie. Yeah, and, and that's that's totally the trick, right? You you lead with, I mean, the most important thing to name first is not actually the category, right? It's it's naming the, the problem and putting the market effort marketing effort behind seeing if that problem is going to take off, seeing if other vendors are going to um, start to talk about that problem in the marketing. And that was the that was the tipping point where we we knew we definitely had a, a category with elation. It's folks other competitors we wouldn't even have, have probably labeled as competitors from a feature set perspective but they started talking about about tribal knowledge um at at tri, trifacta you know we not only worked with with howard to to get the, the category of, of data wrangling to take off um, but we also put a, a ton of effort behind it was, it was probably about a six month effort with the new york times to get the first um you know the first piece on data wrangling published um, for, for the general business audience, which described what the challenge was of data scientists working within the guts of, you know, the 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 data engineering piece of, of their their work, um, and the fact that that wrangling of data took eighty percent of their time. That that stat first showed up in a New York Times article and really helped us get momentum behind. Oh, there's an actual pain here. It has a a, a potential solution, which is data data wrangling. And it has some statistical backing to it, right? And and so that helped um, define the pain enough where that category could be launched and then start to take off. Um, and then it, it, it lends weight when you you know you name the solution or define the the category name. It, it lends weight to that because you have this snowball effect already started. Hey, we've cool. got another audience member I brought up. Um, I'm probably going to mispronounce your name, so you can fix it. But Seket, a uh, a device driver and OS hacker, a man after my own heart. So, well, welcome to the stage. Uh, if you have something to weigh in, question or comment, go for it. Yeah, thank you so much. A really exciting conversation, Stephanie. Hi, nice to see you here. Um, and um, yeah, I was uh, I have a slightly related question. You know, when uh, is whether startups should you know, try to do category creation. And I'll just share my quick own story on that. Uh, when I started Nexla in the data space, uh, we were pretty convinced that, you know, we need a new category and it should be called data operations. And early, I think 2016, 17, 18, we spent a lot of time working with Gartner and other companies as well to kind of get this data operations into the hype cycle. And we felt like, hey, yeah, we got it in. And, you know, it's a category is happening. But, um, you know, um, uh, and I would say I, would, I was inspired quite a bit by like Gainsight, which I think the lighthouse company in category creation. Um, but then, in, you know, later on, I've been wondering whether, you know, startups should pursue category creation. It's very expensive. It takes a lot of marketing and education to do that. And uh, the more I think about, you know, the whole sort of technology adoption lifecycle, you know, if you guys, of course, know the crossing the chasm, the Jeffrey Moore thing, that uh, most of the business happens in mainstream. And while, us innovators love new things, uh, new categories. The mainstream is more like, I don't want the shiny new thing. You know, I, I want something that's already there and proven. And I'm curious about new terms, but, you know, I, I don't have a budget for data operations or, you know, stuff like that. So I'm, I'm just curious from, you know, the experts here is, you know, when should startups pursue category creation, put their resources to it again, given finite funding? And, uh, you know, um, what's your thought on that? So I'll go quickly and then go right to Stephanie. Um, I'm going to paraphrase your question the way I think about it, which is, is the best way to create a category to try and create a category or to go sell some software? That, 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 that's the way I think about it. Uh, and, and Stephanie, feel free to weigh in either on my question or the restatement or, or the original question, but I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, well, well, there is no category without customers. <laughs> so um, I, I do not advise a marketing team to go create a category where you have zero customer references to, to lean on because for me that's that's a signal if you don't have customer adoption yet you don't have a, a product that's creating true value quite yet you, you've got a great idea with a lot of potential but you need to get uh, customers to, to give you the feedback 
uh, to, to get the fit with that product with, with some value creation. And um, that needs to, that's part of that primordial ooze that needs to be there to, to create a, a category. Um, I, I think the other perspective I'll share is, is that, you know, category creation is a, a, a strategic marketing investment. So you, you need to, to real, you know, kind of be cognizant if you're heading down this path and, and this is something you want to do that the entire executive team needs to be aligned behind category creation. And it's a, it's a, a at least a, a year to, to three year journey um, to see, you know, I, I think significant success. Um, what, I, what I will tell folks is, you know, every, every place that, that I've been involved with where we've created a category, uh, when that category is actually um, demarcated, when you have that first vendor comparison that, that comes out, which rank orders the vendors and you're a, a leader in that category, um, you immediately see impact on your demand gen numbers. And it's the type of, of boost that you can't get from just optimizing um, demand gen techniques. And so um, it takes, you know, at Alation, it took us uh, two years to get to the first Forrester wave that ranked 24 vendors. And Alation was in the, 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 the leadership section of that report. Um, but the, the next two years after that, we certainly fed off of the uh, tremendous inbound marketing um, boost that that uh, report and the, and the category gave us. So uh, two more cents from me on this to, to complement Stephanie's answer. Um, I think the more IT is involved, the more you should focus on category creation. The more you're just selling a solution directly to a business user, I mean, it matters, but I think it matters less. But 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 and so it's just a general rule because I think the actual question was should I put my energy into making a category? I think Stephanie and I both radically agree. Don't to forget to sell some software first, <laughs> right? Like Stephanie said, without customers there is no category. In in my mind, one of the best ways to convince the analyst the category is real is selling a lot of software and showing up with a lot of very credible references. So 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 to me, my my, my, my general rule of thumb is when in doubt, go sell software. Um, and, and then go let the category creation kind of lag. And the other thing I'd say is the more you're selling your app directly to a business user and paying without IT involvement, maybe the less it matters, but the more it's going to end up run by IT through some sort of evaluation process, the more IT thinks in categories. And, and I think it's important. I don't know if you have thoughts there, Steph, came off me to see. Yeah, I, th I think I'm in a, a alignment. The other small nuance I might add is, um, I think particularly in uh, enterprise markets, um, categories are, are, are key. I think as you, you start to go you know, down, down market, the techniques you use to create a category, the analyst firms that you may, you, know, you may not rely as much on the analyst firms, you might rely more on G2 rankings in the mid market as an example. So some of the techniques that you use to to create that category and influence that category shift and, and change. So I think there are some distinctions on what segment of the market are you going after and um, how powerful is that category creation effort going to, to be given the buying, um, you know, the buying journey that's different in those different segments. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in here to, to, to a bit. I mean, one of the reasons why I think sometimes in category creation, what do you want to do is you want to differentiate yourself from the incumbent. So it's, it's not so much about, about dealing with 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 new competitors that are around you, but you know, for instance, if you take HR, which I know well, you know, um, you had incumbent players like like a PeopleSoft, right, and uh, SAP on premise, and so you know, how would a how would somebody like a a, a Success Factors or a Cornerstone or or a Workday uh, uh, differentiate when they actually have had at the time a far lesser functional set? Well, they do that by 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 creating a new category, so uh, it's a very powerful way, and it, but it's a difficult way to to really disrupt a, a, an incumbent uh, an incumbent vendor. Because you're trying to shift the field uh, from where the incumbent is currently playing to 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 a new to a new space, but it's it's kind of really really hard to do, and it takes, um, like you said, Stephanie, it takes. A, you know, I take the example of success factors. Uh, they made the shift in the area of performance management, but they did it. By getting Jack Welsh from 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 GE uh, to be their cheerleader, even though GE weren't even using the product, right? 
And to me, that was like one of the great examples of category creation was how Lars Delgard created this category of, of, of performance management, of employee performance management, uh, really out of nothing uh, with, um, uh, with a functional, with a, with, a, with a product that was really at the time very functionally thin. Uh, but it's really about getting a, a, a motivation. I'll, I'll challenge you a bit, Dave, sometimes that it's an end user community that feels ignored. So HR felt ignored. And uh, they were able to create this category that, that really got the, the end user, you know, motivated about this, this whole new, new category, even though in terms of technical functionality, in the early days, it wasn't really that much in terms of a product. Yeah, I mean, I think Stephanie made that point earlier, which underserved community, right? And for what it's worth, I do think Success Factors is one of the great, now rather old examples, like 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 mine from BI. But but look, for, for students of software history, which I am, Success Factors was a fantastic, in my mind, category creation strategy by inflating, I think, what was a very basic performance review tool <laughs> into this broad vision of employee performance management. Um, and, and I thought it was great. I call that a three plus one repositioning. I do a blog post on that plug, uh, where, where you take one element, add add two elements next to it, put a label on top, uh, and now you've created this category. And, and success factors was actually the example I used uh, in that uh, in that post. Cool, cool. So if I may add uh, just a quick thing, I think I totally agree. One sales is extremely important from an entrepreneur's perspective. I would say. Uh, you know, early adopters sometimes are, you know, can be good indicators that a category exists, but may or may not exactly be the case. Um, the analysts I have seen will try new ideas and it's like A-B testing, like any concept, right? I mean, if it sticks and they get a lot of inquiries around a term, then they will further, you know, help sort of amplify it. Um, and then the last thing I would say is that, you know, as startups, you know, um, it's like, you know, we keep testing, you know, what terms sort of can work. And if it becomes a category, uh, that's great. Uh, but I wouldn't want to be caught um, in a category I tried to create, which is now like a dead category because, you know, there wasn't enough momentum uh, around it over time. And uh, I think the final thing, you know, I've been observing is that while it's ideal for me to have a category, which I'm the only one in and everybody wants that category, um, I've been seeing that perhaps best to bring along more companies and uh, create that sort of, you know, uh, community around that category. And and then you still get credit, I think, for being the early one uh, who's been talking about it. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's every, um, definitely. Yeah. That one is, everyone wishes to be alone in the category until you are. <laughs> and, and I was at Mark Logic, and I can tell you the only thing worse than having competitors is not having competitors. Um, so it, it's uh, it's very true. Uh, hey, we brought Simon up on stage here. Uh, Simon, the regular visitor. So welcome back to the stage. Uh, I think you have a question or a comment. Go for it. Uh, yeah, I've uh, got both. First of all, you know, I would say hi, Thomas. But I would say, um, by the way, for me, this is um, this is uh, a SAS Power Sundowner because uh, it's evening where I'm in Johannesburg. But I would have to say hi, Mr. Dresner. I remember you coming to South Africa back in the mid-90s and giving us a talk and then encountering you when I was working with a company back at that time called Redbrick, uh, which was trying I, to... I, I remember Redbrick well. <laughs> yeah. Another um, category creator. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice to get reacquainted. <laughs> Thomas, to, Thomas, to some extent, answered my question, but it was, it was related to what Saket was saying, was that... Uh, it, what happens if you are in a, if you you have a product which is has an extension um, of an existing category? So, uh, for want of a better word, let's say NoSQL, and you want to say you are you have this NoSQL ca capability plus this. Um, and I think Dave, you might have referred to that in your blog post. I must go and I must go and check that out. But you know, how would you how would you handle that kind of situation? Let's go to Stephanie first. And then anyone else can follow up. Yeah, I, I, I think it comes back to the, the way I, I test for that is it comes back to is there additional value that's that's not being created um, by the initial solution in the market that you can play off of to, to, to open up a, a category creation opportunity. If there's not... Um, a new source of value, then I think it's gonna be very hard to create a, a new category. Um, and, and maybe just wanna co-opt the category that exists and, and, and re, redefine it. So I think an interesting example here is, uh, is Tableau. Did Tableau create a, a category or did they co-opt 
business intelligence with their data visualization uh, play. So for the longest time, Tableau would not label themselves as a business intelligence vendor uh, until um, they had influenced Gartner, you know, to the point where Gartner was willing to uh, kind of flip the flip the magic quad on on business intelligence. Um, and so Tableau, for a long time, played a strategy of, hey, we're in a separate category called data uh, data visualization uh, until they built strength of customer uh, reference um, and differentiated uh, value. And then they went in for the kill of the, of the BI market, I think, and just flipped that, but then took on the label of a business intelligence vendor. Yeah, yeah. they really launched at that, by the way, the characterization of being a viz tool these days. Yeah, my, my take on, on Tableau... Um, it was basically they, they cracked the code on visualization. There had been many, many prior attempts, including Spotfire. I mean, the first company in my mind that actually sold a lot of visualization software was Spotfire, and they did it using yeah. kind of a Jeffrey Moore bowling alley, very vertical-focused strategy, and Tableau cracked the code, basically bringing visualization to the masses. And, and I do, in my opinion, and I didn't hear everything Howard said, but I, I view visualization as a part of BI, but 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 – it, it, it's it's now a very dominant part of BI. Let's put it that way, uh, but but nevertheless, still part. I don't think they've co-opted the whole category. But but uh, I don't know, Howard. You're, you're the analyst. <laughs> yeah, I, well, co-opted. I mean, the, what what really made them very successful is because they literally brought the data alive. I mean, when I during my my tenure at Hyperion, uh, you know, how do you how do you demonstrate something like SBase? Well, use a spreadsheet, which is fine if you're a CFO. Uh, but you need something a lot more whizzy. And so we partnered with Tableau in the early days, uh, and that really helped sell a whole lot of S-Base. So that really was their claim to fame. Nobody ever re really had seen uh, such a visual you know, representation of the data as they were able to, uh, to create. Yeah. Oh, Oracle used to demo business objects to sell $3 million data warehouses. Right. This is for, for startups out there. This is never forget that the big guy who will eventually be your enemy might be your friend if you can help them sell something much bigger. Um, we're, we're starting to get close on time here. So, Stephanie, I'm going to come back to you with the last question I have, um, which is you've created a category. Now what? So, so, so you've been successful. You've done it a couple of times. What do you do next? You know, what can happen to the category after you create it? So, so. Um, you know, there's a great movie called The Candidate. It's an old, old movie. It's all about a guy running for election, and he wins. And the last line of the movie is, now what? <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's the question for you. Yeah, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close. I think Thomas opened this conversation up with a really nice uh, framework for the, the paper he referenced, where in category creation, you, you claim, you demarcate, and you control. And... Uh, you know, if I if I look back on Alation and the 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 Forrester wave being published was our, our demarcation of the category because then you had a, a rank ordered list that was out there, you know, publicly for all of the features that you needed for a data catalog. Um, we started to see a, a spike in inbound demand, um, and then we needed to control that category. So uh, un unfortunately, maybe this is the, I, I don't want to end on a downer, but you know, that the challenge of category creation is, uh, you know, uh, you can't just sit on your, your laurels as the, 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 the king of that category, right? You're, you're always defending that, that category and, and, and building it and expanding and controlling. And so I think that there is um, this process of cementing and expanding, cementing and expanding that you go through, you, you know, cement the categories, you've just defined it and you control that, but then you want to expand, you, you likely are looking to expand your revenue. So you're looking to expand the total addressable market for that category by continuing to create some, some technology and product and solution innovation. Um, and then once you expand, you're then cementing that category again, is that you're the, the leader of that new category. And so there is, it's not as much, um, it doesn't, I don't, I would argue it doesn't take as much as much investment as the initial creation of the category, uh, but there's you know still a lot of work to be done to to get that category to be a long-standing, healthy uh, market. And uh, you know, in I, I maybe point back to my um, Aster Data experience where um, you know we we had some success creating a, a cat you know carving off analytical databases from the database category and, and getting a nice magic quad out there that 
uh, labeled that space. And then within, you know, six months, all of the vendors on that magic quad had all been acquired and that category completely collapsed. So that, you know, that just because you've created the category doesn't mean the work is over. That was the, the learning early, you know, early on in my startup career. Yeah, I agree violently. Um, I, I think once you've created a category, the basic problem is someone wants to take it away from you <laughs> um, and, and they can do it either through a direct frontal assault, which is difficult, but some people have the money to do it. They can do it by chipping away at it. So, you know, specialized databases is the example you created, uh, or they can do it by enveloping it, right? Where, where CRM envelops marketing automation and sales automation and customer service automation, right? And those to me are the three generic strategies um, and, uh, I don't know, did, did, Thomas, or do you have thoughts on this one or do we have another question? Yeah, I think, I think what's really interesting in that point is uh, take the example of success factors. What, what they did is they expanded the category. So once they dominated, once they got control of one category, they, they started to move into, into, um, uh, sort of adjacent categories. So you, you, you start to play in other people's, um, you start playing other people's turf and then you, you create like an expanded category. So success factors went from from performance management to integrated talent management, right? So just when everyone is on the, you know, oh, we got to have a best of breed for this one process because you know that's what success factors do. You then you then change the game up by becoming more of a, 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 a kind of a mini suite vendor. So you you make a couple of smart acquisitions. And you and you readjust the category, so so everyone's kind of trying. Everyone's then catching up. With everyone's then then then, you know, they're the ones who are so last year, and you already you're you're already reforming and 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 reshaping the category to your to your advantage. So the so so the the category doesn't stay static, but I think often the mistake people make is they form the category and they think they've done their work, but actually um, it's a bit like fitness. Um, it's easy. It's hard to get fit, but it's much harder to stay fit. And and I think when you when you have a category, you need to you need to curate it. You need to expand it. Um, uh, you need to uh, uh, look at how you can you can take over uh, other uh, emerging emerging categories. And that's really the kind of the control play. And this is why acquisitions suddenly become quite interesting um, is it's not out of out of engineering competence that you do acquisitions but it's actually about about expanding the 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 scope of the category awesome hey uh there's two minutes left in the session i don't see any more audience questions um stephanie do you have any final thoughts on this i can ask you another question or you can just do some summary and wrap-up thoughts yeah I mean, I think this has been an amazing, an amazing conversation. I am so glad to uh, have had Howard and Simon uh, join us and Socket as well. Uh, just some great, uh, great questions. I think we covered a, a lot of territory, both from, uh, you know, how to think strategically about the steps to create a category, you know, claim the, uh, demarcate and, and control. Um how do you look for the primordial ooze that, that can give you con confidence to start down the path of uh, creating a, a category? Um, leading with pain as part of your definition and actually uh, naming that, that pain um, as, a, as a, a key component. Um, and then uh, I, I love all the examples that just folks have brought up of companies that have done it well. And I, I think we've highlighted some, you know, areas from, from our, our past where uh, there have been some failures, too. And so, uh, you know, sometimes those are the best uh, learning opportunities uh, as well. Awesome. Well, thanks for being our guest, Stephanie. I really appreciate it. This was a great session. Um, we do this every Thursday, folks, so you're free to join us for the SaaS Product Power Breakfast, named per California time, which I increasingly regret. <laughs> we may name this something else at some point, but for now, it's the SaaS we've created. We've created a category, Dave. We've got to stick with it. Uh, we'll be on again next Thursday. I want to thank Stephanie for joining us. A fantastic session, Tom. I want to thank the people who asked questions for coming up on stage. I thought that was great. Uh, great to see you again, Howard. It's been a while since we talked. Thomas, do you have any other comments you'd like to add? No, just thanks, Stephanie, for coming on the show. You've been a super guest, and we hope to have you back. We hope you're back one of these days. Yeah, since Thomas is still on mute, I'm going to assume that means no. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody. I'm going to – oh, there you go, Thomas. 
Uh, I was again. I always have to be on mute, but thanks, everybody. Awesome show, Stephanie. Thanks for being a guest, and I'm going to end it with. Thank you, everybody, for coming. I'll be shutting down the room in about uh, five seconds. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Howard. Great to see you. Thank you. Great to see everyone.